Hyperscale-inspired technology is everywhere in enterprise IT, from Kubernetes to S3 to OCP, but these technologies may not always be applicable. Looking at AI, for example, we see a very different deployment model in the hyperscale cloud as opposed to the enterprise cloud. And this gap in technology implementation and talent may be widening. Another impact is the needs of hyperscalers in terms of sustainability and specifically energy consumption. We should also consider how hyperscale use case distorts the use of the technology, which is obvious in CXL, GPUs, and networking technologies. Looking at Cloud Field Day, we can see that many of the companies are attempting to bridge this gap, connecting hyperscale and cloud technology to the enterprise. That's what makes Field Day so interesting. Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic or on-premise, and sometimes even on location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT experts to discuss a single idea. Today's premise related to Cloud Field Day, at which all of our guests will be part this week, is the question of the widening, or is it narrowing, or is it maintaining gap between hyperscale and enterprise tech? Before we mind the gap, though, let's meet who's on the discussion today. Hi, uh, Eric Wright here. I'm the Chief Content Officer at GTM Delta. I write technical content for companies, and I podcast at discopossepodcast.com. I'm Disco Posse everywhere, easy to find. I'm Allison Klein. I, you can find me at Tech Allison on all social networks, and my platform is the Tech Arena. I am Nathan Bennett. You can find me as the Nathan Bennett in multiple different places, and you can definitely find me podcasting with the IT Reality Podcast. As in my day job, I tend to try to figure out how to put clouds together one nebulous block at a time. And I am Stephen Foskett. Uh, you can find me here in the Gestalt IT On-Premise podcast. Uh, we just wrapped uh, season five of Utilizing Tech. And of course, you'll find me every Wednesday on the Gestalt IT Rundown and as S. Foskett on most social medias. So we are ramping up for Cloud Field Day this week. Um, this episode is posting on Tuesday. And then Wednesday and Thursday, we've got a packed couple of days with Cloud Field Day presentations. But this week is also OCP Summit here in beautiful San Jose, California. And the question that arises is, um, well, there's obviously cross-pollination going on between hyperscale and enterprise tech. In fact, to the extent that basically enterprises and enterprise vendors are now just using the C word for everything they do. It's all about cloud. And sometimes it is. And a lot of the hyperscale tech has actually impacted enterprise. I mean, look at the success of Kubernetes. I mean, that was never designed for enterprise. And now we're finding it everywhere. We're finding it at the edge. We're finding it in space, you know. But given, you know, the, the, the fact that technologies like that were not actually created for use by the vast majority of data center computing. Um, what do we think of this? You know, how, how do we mind the gap, as Allison put it, between uh, hyperscale and the enterprise? And Allison, I'm gonna pick on you first, since you suggested sure. this topic. Talk to us a little bit about that gap. You know, I've been engaged with OCP for an, a decade, I think. I, I worked on um, some of the announcements of OCP actually being created when I was back in the industry. And I think that what's interesting about it is that it started from a standpoint of a very clear message about what do the hyperscalers want and what do they want the industry to do. But over the last few 
years, it's gotten much more interesting in terms of expanding their focus to the edge, expanding their focus to telco. They're having a much broader um, footprint. And I think that I think that there might be a narrowing of the gap in some ways around their configurations. But when I look at broader technology trends, there are tons that make me really question, are enterprises ready to do things like composable infrastructure with CXL? Are they ready to take advantage of things like chiplet architectures and heterogeneous chiplet architectures? And I'm sure there are many other things that the collective body today can add to the list of areas where we're going to need to look and see if, are these gap wideners? I definitely think the idea that composable infrastructure, like when, when we first saw that coming in, we said this concept is great and we loved the idea. And I think a lot of vendors grabbed onto that idea as a message of like, hey, let's just create truly a pluggable architecture. And this was kind of before the cloud was even a thing, like private cloud wasn't even a word we use. Amazon web services didn't exist. We were talking about composable architectures. And then what happened was the cloud necessitated creating commoditized composable architectures that could scale you know, rapidly and as needed. And then we had these like specialized clouds and then we had the commoditized cloud. And so I, I have this funny thing that I always see, like you described, Allison, of like, I call it rapid specialization and rapid generalization. We've got the AI ML crowd, which is going hardcore to like, I'm going to strap 17 GPUs on the back of my phone so that I can like scan the world. And then on the other side, you've got, I want to have like just 17 Raspberry Pis glued together and I'm going to run a, a web server off of it. Like, they all achieve the goal, but it's interesting that both both things are occurring at the same time. And I wonder like what, what creates, what begets the other kind of thing. I, I think when we talk about the gap, there's definitely a lot of different things that we need to dive into. Like what is that scalability, that elasticity that people want and desire when they move to cloud? What are the individual pieces that the organizations are actually trying to achieve. Like to your point, Eric, when you were talking about AI, a lot of people want to utilize AI. And so they think, you know what? Okay, this will be easy. I can just jump into the cloud and build a couple AI boxes and start utilizing that. And then they find out that most AI boxes in the cloud are already reserved and they have to open tickets and yell like they literally, literally become old men yelling at clouds saying, hey, please, can I have an AI box? so that they can actually run some workloads. And then what do they end up doing? They end up actually going back to their data centers and trying to figure out how to build it. And then they build it and then they say, oh no, now I've got this insanely huge power power consumption that we have. How 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 do we figure all these things out? And so it's it's if there is a narrowing of gap, I would I would say that it uh, is creating additional gaps that they have to start trying to trying to navigate. What's interesting, you bring up, uh, you literally said utilizing AI, uh, which is literally the name of the podcast that we, <laughs> that we have. Um, and that was actually absolutely 100%, Nathan, the, the topic of so many of our discussions on, on there was this question of how do we make this thing real and how do we make it real at a scale uh, that makes sense to enterprise tech? And, and I absolutely agree with you that a lot of the stuff that's being done in hyperscale, especially, especially around AI, is not applicable to the majority of businesses and the majority of sort of data center clouds, whatever you want to call them, 
because they're they're living on another planet. I mean, you look at some of the AI implementations in hyperscale, um, they're already getting tired of the massively distributed AI systems that companies like NVIDIA and AMD are putting together and starting to say, we need our own chips, we need our own architecture. And to Allison's point about OCP, I mean, honestly, OCP Summit is a really interesting event for me because you go there and you look around and it's, it, it is, it's like visiting Mars because you look around and you see the different way that hyperscalers see the same technology. So, you know, you'll go and you'll see CXL there, but what they're using CXL for is completely different. You'll see AI there, you know, AI hardware inferencing and, and, and training uh, engines and stuff. And it's, it's, it's like a different animal. Um, you know, how do, we, how do we say that the gap is narrowing when it looks to me like the gap is widening? I think AI is one of the biggest topics in this space, because if you look at what the hyperscalers are doing and they're deploying hundreds of thousands of GPUs and these massive um, data centers, they're using high performance computing cluster backgrounds to build these things and in tight um, coherency. How does an average enterprise let alone get their hands on GPUs, but get their hands on the talent that can actually build these types of systems for them. I think the talent gap is something that is um, the tip of the sphere in terms of what they can do and what they can't do in terms of taking advantage. But I think the industry will respond and they do. And, I, and I've seen it time and time again, when you see the hyperscalers go in one direction with technology, the industry will look and say, hey, there is a market here for enterprise. So how do we re-envision this technology in a way that um, broad enterprise can actually take advantage of it? We saw that with private cloud. We've seen that with multi-cloud. And, and you know, thinking about how enterprises would actually want to use multiple cloud instances, they've, they've taken technology, whether it be the stacks or the underlying infrastructure, and taken them in different ways. To your point earlier, Stephen, Kubernetes and space, I keep thinking about that. Um, my question is, where will they go next? And I think CXL is going to be a great one to see where does the industry go with delivering composable infrastructure to the masses when they don't have that talent pool to build that kind of stuff for themselves? I think a good point you bring up, Allison, is this idea that, and space reference is always appropriate because, especially Plan 9 from outer space, but the idea that we went to the moon and people would say today, why did, you know, why did all these countries choose to go and land on the moon? You know, what was the result of it? One would say it's the same thing of the hyperscalers in an analogy that there are things being done there that actually we don't realize are affecting everyday computing, right? So there's stuff that's being innovated in the scale of a hyperscaler because they are like, our whole purpose is building a scalable system and then making it easy to consume, making it easy to tear down, whatever. They're finding efficiencies that no one else is looking for. And then on the enterprise side, it would actually be the worst thing in your position to begin doing capital adoption of hardware when you have no idea what the workload patterns are gonna look like. It's all nearly impossible to be able to predict what workload patterns and consumption for high data workloads, high network workloads, like CXL, even in the vendor space is challenging. So anyways, there's my, my theme there is this idea that we've got innovations that have happened now, they're bleeding down to this next tier 
and we we don't even know sort of who to thank. It's uh, sort of on the shoulders of, of of Amazon giants and and OpenStack giants, you know, and Google uh, Borg giants that have they've been testing this stuff for a long time. It's it's finally consumerized. Yeah, so I'll I'll chime in here with like I mean, gosh, there there are multiple different roads that y'all created that I could I could go down. But one thing that getting back to the idea of of CXL and all the capabilities that it's bringing to us. We're going to look to the big guys in order to try to see where are the use cases that are sustainable that can then be brought down to the smaller guys, right? I think right now the smaller guys are going to be going to the cloud, maybe get a couple of instances to run their workloads if they have that skill gap to know what what workloads they want to run. But there's going to be like the federal governments, the the big, when I say the big guys, I normally mean you know, the federal, it's probably one of the biggest ones out there, right? The big guys. And they're going to try to figure out, okay, well, we've got Crane, we've got HPC, we've got some other things that we're trying to do. And they're going to start fiddling with it and with CXL and trying to see how all that will work. And then case studies will start coming out. And those case studies will start a waterfall effect that will start flowing down because right now, I think AI is accountable for like the entire electric consumption of like the the country of Ireland. I think I heard that on a, on a newsreel somewhere, and I don't know. I don't measure electricity by Ireland, uh, so I don't know how much that is. But it seems like a lot. And now they're saying it's going to be like Sweden, and then I'm over here still saying, please give me a number. I don't know how much Sweden uses, but at the end of the day, yeah, at, at the end of the day, it's not sustainable. That's that's the that's the challenge and taking it from from uh, the power ability that it has to the sustainability that it has is going to be, in my opinion, probably the next discussion, because, yeah, hyperscalers are able to make it really easy. Unfortunately, if you're, you know, kind of an SMB customer, you're going to have a hard time getting maybe a couple of workloads. But if you're not and you're one of the bigger folks, you're probably going to build it yourself and then you're going to basically be happy to pay it um, until the federal government says, hey, uh, we need to find sustainable energy sources, and which leads to a whole other different discussion. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, by the way, here in America, we generally measure power consumption by homes. And I don't even know what a home is, but yeah, I was reading an article about AI and it was like, you know, this, this cluster uses as much power as 55,000 homes. And I'm like, what? But okay. Um, you know, that's okay. We, we measure distances by strange things too. Um, but the point is that, um, yeah, absolutely. We have to consider that it just, but looking at tech, let's, 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 let's turn into the, the tech space and specifically the use cases. So one of the things that struck me when we were doing utilizing CXL, um, was that the, you know, this technology is just a technology but the initial applications of it were very micro-targeted toward the needs of hyperscalers. And, you know, and to get specific about that, CXL is right now being used as a way to right-size memory in hyperscale servers, because essentially DIMMs only come in certain sizes. And if you need a system that comes in, that, that needs basically two and a half X the memory, then your choice is I need to buy 4x the memory conventionally, or I can buy 2x the memory and then, because it's, it's got to be powers of two, you know, basically the binary powers of two. 
Um, so they call it non-binary memory, which, oh, seems so out of touch with society. But anyway, um, so so you need to buy basically the, the the binary memory number below that, and then you buy a CXL module that gets you to where you need to go, and you're saving literally 30, 40, 50% on that server build by doing that, um, which is just in, absolutely incredible. But that's not what CXL is supposed to be. It's not just supposed to be a way to right size memory, but that's just an incredible solution. And so Intel and AMD are like, oh yeah, we're delivering that, you know, and Micron's like, and Samsung, they're like, heck yeah, here's the board, right size memory, save 50%, give us the check, you know? You look at AI, it's the same kind of thing, you know? I mean, what what is NVIDIA delivering for, you know, AI clusters? They're delivering basically massive, multi, you know, scalable multi-tenant AI clusters on the one hand, and on the other hand, they're delivering basically a GPU. And so you, you know, you you kind of look at those two things and you're like, these things are just incredibly different from a technology use case perspective, right? I think that one of the things that shows this change is who's involved in the industry standards that are delivering these technologies. You know, when the CSPs moved in mass into the organization that delivered the CXL specifications, you kind of knew that their um, their desires were going to be reflected in how that standard was developed and what technologies were prioritized in terms of uh, hitting the market first. Um, what's interesting about CXL is that it, it is based on an industry standard, right? It is an industry standard and there will be broad innovation that will flow that technology into a number of different spaces, just like PCI Express before it. Um, but I think that what's different about AI and something that I've been writing about on my platform is that um, NVIDIA holds a lot of the cards as to how this technology is being developed, both from a standpoint of their GPUs and their InfiniBand fabric from Mellanox. Um, and that gives them an you know, an unequal share of power in how this trajectory is moving. We know that the CSPs don't like that. Um, they don't like any imbalance in power in terms of the industry supply. And I think that's why you're seeing so many interesting startups coming up in investing in different types of accelerator engines for AI training. And that part of the industry is so interesting for me right now because it's just really expressing that there is a, a power dynamic that is out of balance and um, industry innovation will try to find a way to get that back into balance. How will that affect the enterprise? I think the enterprise is an, an opportunity to take advantage of some of that technology because, you know, I don't remember if it was Eric or Nathan that said before, you can't get an access to a GPU cluster right now in the cloud and you're just an old man screaming at the wind. So um, this might be another avenue for them to get um, some of that technology um, in their hands. Yeah, we're going to see the re-rise of, of grid computing. And, you know, when we would all do the, you know, the work on those, you know, collective projects where you just leave your machine on and it spins away in the background. Even like Tidal Scale, I think, was the company that they actually had the idea of aggregating disaggregated machines and then treating them as one pool of memory and one pool of storage. And they had built a way in which you could do it. Performance was was gruesome, but it meant that they were getting rid of the limitations of localized limits. Like CXL now as a standard being, you know, broadly adopted, 
like we all agree that's the path we're going, is going to nail it. That being said, InfiniBand, wicked cool. Mm, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, the, the world moved faster than that. ATM to the desktop, right? That was, I worked in a financial services firm. We were all about like, let's look at how do we get more speed to the desktop. While that was going on, you know, class networking completely advanced and the idea that in the core hub spoke, you know, methods, we had better ways to be able to do optimizations that didn't need you to have this ATM at the desktop, the protocols moved. So I mean, I'm curious in a one way of like a CXL, I think is perfectly timed. The question is, are we actually gonna care about it as a, just a systems architect designing a enterprise data center, will CXL actually matter or will it be like PCI Express where you're just like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just there, you know, it's what we do with it will be very interesting uh, as we go. I think one thing to keep in mind with with CXL whenever we have these discussions is that it, it's definitely it's already being used like to to Stephen's point, like it's already out there. There are people that are that are using it and trying to figure it out. I think it's still at that point where we're not really sure what the big deal is that CXL is really going to bring to everyone. It has a very specific goal, which it's achieving, but there are other things that it could possibly do that we see the value behind it. I think Kubernetes is a great example. I'm, I'm always going to take almost every conversation to a Kubernetes example. But your point, Kubernetes was like, hey, this is just going to make developers' life easier. Next thing we know, there's a Kubernetes cluster in space, right? Because at the end of the day, the idea of having something small, consumable, but has control loops in order to maintain the application and make sure that it's always running correctly is something that's evaluated and needed for that particular use case. CXL is going to be kind of that same thing. And yes, it's going to be a hyperscaler's things. Yes, it's going to be, you know, the, the big guys that are going to be jumping in there and trying to figure out those pieces first. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, maybe next year, you know, future Nathan next year or the year after that is going to be looking at, okay, well, how do how are you going to tie in CXL into this architecture for your private cloud? How many GPUs are going to be working with CXL? And here's a fun fact that, you know, if I was going to throw my dice and say, hey, let's let's have a hot take, it would be, you know, maybe Intel is developing GPUs that are more sustainable than NVIDIA GPUs. And then maybe that's going to be kind of another thing. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm just throwing out a hot take. Well, and to call back to, you know, to take that and what Allison said before, right, it's important to look at who's at the table for CXL, right? And who's at the table. When we talk about cloud, when we talked about cloud X years ago, whatever X would be, it, we knew who we were talking about. We we're talking about Amazon and the other people that are chasing Amazon. When we talk about cloud today, we're looking at enterprise clouds. CXL is including network, storage, compute. Like look at the cloud field day. We've got data people. We've got network people. We've got chip people. We've got virtualization people. But we're all playing together, right? Where else would you know a Fortinet and a Weka and an AMD be at the same presentation spaces because we all collectively are using these core tenants that have been developed. And now that's like, I think that's pretty cool because we're all at the table. We're all discussing how it's affecting each other. No one is like, this is the purpose-built solution. Like OCP is a practice ultimately came out of Facebook. It was solving Facebook's, you know, they were the sort of the biggest players there. And then everybody else jumped in and now we're all benefiting from that. So anyways, I'm, I'm here for it because I, I like being a generalist and it, it's kind of fun to be able to touch all the things. 
I think that, Nathan, you've talked about some important things in sustainability. First, you talked about a new um, definition of green power, which was Ireland. Um, The other is uh, the fact that we're looking at embedded energy and who's making the most sustainable chips, who's making the most sustainable infrastructure. I think that's going to be a huge theme. And that might actually be one of the driving points that brings enterprise back to the table as organizations make their climate commitments and are looking at scope one and scope three um, utilization. I think that OCP and the sustainability focus of that organization is going to be a huge driving point from that, especially with some of the metrics that they're developing for um, carbon and um, for you know water utilization. I think that those are topics that can absolutely have broader impact than just the um, the hyperscaler environment. That's going to be a critical component to the success of these these discussions, right? Because we are seeing a lot of things in the news around the unsustainability of these solutions. And everybody wants to jump to them and drive to them, which is just incredibly driving energy consumption, which is going to just do other things that are going to lead to governments making decisions and whatever. I mean, I can put on my, my, my tinfoil hat and say, oh, conspiracy theories and start yelling at clouds again. But I, at the end of the day, the, the goal behind it is just making sure that these uh, solutions are sustainable for people to actually use. I think that what's also interesting, and I'll take it back to this, is that the industry responds, the industry reimagines. And I think that one of the most interesting things about um, where companies go is look at what the hyperscalers have helped us create. And how do we take that to the mass market? And how do we monetize these technologies for the talent pools and the scale that enterprises are adopting? So I'm curious what what you guys think about where we're going to see that type of innovation next week. Um, my my wife and I were were going through Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and there was this comment that was like, "Shouldn't magic be?" have wonder behind it shouldn't it be magical and that's kind of the joy of technology because when the things that we do are insane and when we think about cxl and we brought cxl to somebody in like the 90s then that was like trying to figure out how to do the different things that were happening at the time it would seem like magic it would seem you know unreal that things like this could have been happening and that's the wonder that we get to deal with and at the end of the day that wonder is eventually brought down to earth where we all kind of understand it, agree with it. And then uh, to borrow one other statement, you know, it kind of gets boring. And when it gets boring is normally we we're all using it at that point. So looking at what's being presented to enterprises, both in, in the marketplace and specifically at cloud field day, One of the things that occurs to me is that it really is a a continuation of what all of you are saying in terms of bringing this, bridging this gap, narrowing this gap, and making this stuff real. And you look at the kind of companies that we see at Cloud Field Day. So I'm I'm just like looking at this list right now. You know, what is Weka doing? What is Prosimo doing? What is Mesmo doing? What are the rest of these companies doing? It's all about basically taking all of this cool tech that has been developed for a specific use case in the hyperscale world and figuring out how to make that, repackage it, change it, make it applicable to the enterprise. And I think that it's really, really interesting to see what they do to the technology, what they do to improve it, what they do to connect it. 
So for example, you know, you look at, you know, we've talked about CXL, um, you know, you look at what Memverge is doing, you know, we looked at, um, you know, we talked about machine learning, you know, you look at what um, some of these other companies are doing. I mean, WECA certainly is going to be talking about, you know, distributed data. Um, you know, uh, Prosimo is talking about connecting, um, you know, hyperscale networking and making it make sense for the enterprise. Um, Juniper is talking about basically taking technologies from hyperscale and making it make sense in the enterprise. That's, a, that's what they're all talking about because that is the enterprise business model, right? And so as, as Cloud Field Day delegates, is that the lens through which you see these presentations? I think everything that we look at is, especially in sustainability, it's our responsibility to look for how do we reduce risk? How do we reduce waste? I mean, in IT, as CEOs of companies, we ultimately all have that same responsibility. It's, I have to reduce the risk to my company and ultimately the earth, you know, and I have to reduce the unnecessary excess that's being done, right? It's, it's actually kind of silly, if you think, to try to do enterprise computing at any grand scale. Because like, it's actually irresponsible from a sustainability perspective not to use somebody that's already achieved sustainability. Why shouldn't we just throw everything at Azure, AWS, Oracle, Alibaba, et cetera, right? But then we know we can't do that, right? Because we don't want to consolidate all of our workloads. We have to create our own risk reduction, which is distribute the workloads, don't spend too much. So well, I, there's I that think old familiar cloud field day refrain, you're not Google. Right, <laughs> right. Giphy, right, was Google infrastructure for everybody else. Alex Polvey coined that phrase, and ultimately it it was something that survived into Red Hat and lives somewhere buried inside of a, of a key store. But, you know, in the end, what Alex talked about is actually being felt every day because we are running Kubernetes, which is powered by the stuff that was core DNS that that team built. Right. So we have these things. So, yeah, we're seeing practical implementations and real use cases that are business use cases where network data compute all have to care about the outcome and we all have to care about optimizing the outcome. So it's it's pretty exciting. I think that one of the things that I look at, Stephen, is are the companies just doing what's basic in understanding the customer, understanding the desire of the customer and the um, limitations of the customer? And are they reimagining technology for that customer demand? And I think that, you know, Cloud Field Day never disappoints. There's always going to be those, those companies that come with these amazing ideas where you just know in your gut that customers are going to be like, finally, you know, that this is going to give me a technology that I can deploy with confidence. And it's going to be disruptive. It may not be the first time that this technology has existed, but it's the first time that this technology exists in a way that can be deployable. And that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I definitely echo those two pieces. Like when you see something that, that one of the vendors bring in and your first reaction is, oh, finally, this has been something that, that I personally have struggled with in the IT space. It's something that I know that a number of my customers or friends or user, whatever you want to call it, when you see that solution that just makes sense and you can finally just stand up and say, thank you for creating that. That's, that's an exciting part, part of field day, seeing the people that are coming. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see some of the old trusted solutions that we all kind of know seeing VMware be there as well is going to be good to try to see what their solutions are going to be uh, developing. But I always like to see, 
you know, ask those questions in terms of these particular things. And, and Stephen, you asked about being a delegate, being able to be the voice of, of users. And, and I, I think I'm still a user and say, uh, does this make my life easier or does this make my life more difficult? Like, is this just complicating something that should be easier or is this something that is incredibly complicated and making it somewhat easier to be uncomplicated? Like, for instance, using generative AI to do develop infrastructure as code and be able to de deploy that. I mean, I we all use uh, Stack Overflow for that every day, but you I mean the ability to implement AI in a way that actually is useful that's something that I look forward to. And uh, hopefully we'll see a little bit about that uh, while we're there. As they always say, I can't trust AI to write code because all it's going to do is sit there all day looking at Stack Overflow, trying to find the best answer. I'm like, I think that's what the development team does. But it's... <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, to totally. And, and I, I completely agree with you here that, that you know, one of the... the the best things, well, one of the better decisions that I made way back when, like 15 years ago when I started you know, field day was to call you guys delegates because the whole point was that you guys, you, you know, you represent the, the market in a very important qualitative way. In other words, your job is to be sitting there and to be, to be the end user, to be the voice of those people. And I think that you all have succeeded so wonderfully at that every single time we do field day. I feel like it's, you know, you guys around the table, you're the voice of the customer, the voice of the enterprise, the voice of the deployers, the voice of the, the regular person saying, hey, 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 I'm not sure I understand this, or I, I do understand this, but I see it in a different way than you do, Mr. Hyperscaler or Mr. Vendor. And, and to me, that's the magic of field day. And it really connects back to this whole conversation that we have all this technology that's being developed for hyperscale. We've got all this stuff that's being shown at OCP Summit. We've got all this, you know, cloud tech, you know, capital C, you know, cloud technology, right? And then we've got all these people and companies trying to figure out how to make that stuff more useful and more deployable in the enterprise. And that's what we see at Field Day every single time. So wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for this discussion. Um, we've actually kind of hit the, the time limit here. So before we go, though, I do want to quickly go through Eric, Nathan, Allison, where can we connect with you and continue this conversation? All right, uh, Disco Posse everywhere on all the socials and gtmdelta.com for the work. I'm V. Nathan Bennett uh, on all the socials. Be sure to uh, tweet at me for any questions or anything and more than happy to join the discussion. You can find me at thetecharena.net uh, where you'll see my podcast blogs and papers, including an upcoming sustainability paper next week, Nathan, that you should read uh, and wherever you can find your podcasts. And as for me, again, you'll find me on the on-premise IT podcast, the weekly Gestalt IT news rundown, and with tech coverage at gestaltit.com. Also, check out uh, the Tech Field Day page on LinkedIn for Cloud Field Day, Wednesday and Thursday this week. Uh, you'll also find the videos recorded at uh, YouTube slash Tech Field Day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On-Premise IT. If you enjoyed this discussion, please remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You'll find us in all your favorite podcast applications. Also, please do give us a rating or review. That's a great way to help other people find us. This podcast is brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, just head to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>